The Millennial Life Coach is a podcast of real-life, candid conversations about millennials navigating the ups and downs of adulthood. The podcast is hosted by Millennial Life Coach Jessica Knight, who is on a mission to help those in their 20s and 30s to break free from what society says they should be doing, accept where they are, and feel empowered and ready to create a life of their own. On today's podcast, I'm going to talk to one of my clients, Maggie. Maggie came to me when she was really feeling stuck in her life. She didn't know what she wanted or what she needed or even what she was thinking at times, but she just knew that she felt unfulfilled. She was daydreaming. She was spending time looking up trips, but not booking them. And on paper had a lot of things that people wanted, a nice apartment, a well-paying job, but did not have the inner fulfillment that she felt like she wanted and that she needed. And on today's conversation, which is going to be part one of a two-part podcast with her, we talk through her millennial life crisis and we go back to who she was at that time and what she was thinking. I think this podcast is really going to resonate with a lot of you. I think a lot of you have been in this spot. I have absolutely been in the same spot as Maggie. And I would be really interested to hear how you see yourself in Maggie's journey. Hi, Maggie. Thank you for being here today. Hi, Jess. Thanks for having me. Of course. Maggie, you've been a client of mine for a while and you came to me at the beginning of your, probably you didn't frame it this way, but your millennial life crisis. And so can you, do you remember what it felt like when we first started speaking? Yes. <laughs> and <laughs> it was, we were talking about this yesterday because I already acknowledged that I'm a client of yours or a couple of days ago, but I just, it's hard to go there because I was just so like, you know? yeah, and I just felt so lost and so confused and so fed up with like just the way things were. And I had no idea what to do about it. So I remember even having some resistance. Like I remember getting off the first mm-hmm. call you in my attitude, because obviously we've been working together for a long time and I love you very much. But my first, I was like, whatever, I don't care. I just need to talk to someone, you know, it was kind of, <laughs> yeah. I didn't know what I was getting into because you've been a, an incredibly important part of my journey. But I remember just feeling like, so like I had no, feelings towards anything except just feeling really disconnected from myself and disconnected from any kind of joy or or pain and just lost so it was it was not a fun place to be yeah and you so can you almost like paint the picture of what a regular day was for you at the time so when we first connected it was right i i covid was like the restrictions were lifting, you know, I believe it was like, they were still in and out a little bit at that time when like we, you know, it'd go back in or back out. Um, So you had just spent all this time in COVID and maybe you can touch on like what that was like for you during that period. And then just take me through like a day in your life. Yeah. I think seemingly things looked good like I had just moved to a really nice apartment in downtown Boston where I had a really nice view it was like all the amenities were there um I had been traveling a little bit like over the summer I worked for a corporate I had been in corporate advertising sales for like eight years at this point which was always like a huge part like I knew it wasn't my thing but I just I had no idea what else could be so 
I just, you know, I was making pretty good money for a single person in her 30s. So I was affording a lifestyle that I was like always aspiring to. And then I had it and I was like, this still isn't it. Right. So like I was traveling and living in a nice place and so incredibly bored. Like my days were just, they were just like stare out this window half the time, you know, (laughs) and like my job itself, which I appreciate now but I didn't appreciate anything really at the time but it it didn't take all day I just felt like I had to pretend though like I felt like I was just pretending like I was pretending to care about the job and I was pretending to be interested in things and that's just really not a good feeling it's really a soul-sucking feeling to just Mm -hmm. be so disengaged and just to be like so inauthentic you know just to be like and I just hated it and um but I had had no idea what else to do so a typical day for me would be like I would wake up and I would always attempt to work out in the morning. Like I was always obsessed because I've been like looking into self-help, self-help for a very long time. So I was always obsessed with the morning routine. I would be like, for some reason, I was like, this is the key to like figuring things out. <laughs> I always was like trying to work out and have a decent morning. Um, sometimes I would, sometimes I wouldn't, depending on if I drank the night before. And socially, and drink. I would always say yes to drinking. I should say that. So like if I went out the night before... I wouldn't really get up in the morning and then I'd feel bad about myself. So then I'd start the day off in shame. And then I would just sit and like pretend to care about my job. And then I would either attempt to make dinner or Mm -hmm. if someone in this new apartment that I was in was really social. And I loved that, especially post COVID where it had been none of that. So I was meeting new people, which was, which was fun. Um, but it was like college, like people were drinking every single night. So then there were just like opportunities to drink. So if I was bored, sometimes I would just drink. It would be like a Monday night. So that wasn't great. Um, but otherwise, I would probably just like watch TV. I don't know. I mean, it's like all I can remember doing. I just remember being bored and like looking for things to do. I was single. So I didn't, and I, I'm still single, but I didn't like the dating apps. So I like, like maybe I should do the dating apps. So then I would do the dating apps for a little bit. And, you know, I don't know. <laughs> it was just yeah. kind of like, what am I doing? Um, and so you said att- like you attempted to do a lot of things a few times, like attempted to work out, attempted to make dinner. Like, what did that actually look like for mm-hmm. you? Yeah. Um, that's such a good question. Cause it was just inconsistent. Like there would be mm-hmm. days I wasn't, and, and this is the part of it. That's like why it's so hard to re- like reflect on because I was just, wasn't doing anything for like the enjoyment of it. I just felt like I, you know, I was just really in a lot of shoulds of like, this is what I should be doing. This is what I need to be doing. I, you know, this is what it means to be like a healthy, successful person. Um, and the working out, like, I've had like streaks of being really consistent of either, but that was actually pre COVID. Like I really love workout classes and I've had a lot of good, I've had a lot of good like cycles of like month long consistency with workout classes, but then COVID hit and I was all, I just did nothing. Um, and so trying to get back into it, be like, occasionally I'd go to like a Barry's boot camp in the morning or occasionally I would like go to the gym in my apartment or go for a run. There's mostly running. Um, so that does sound like, but there wasn't something that, you were feeling like, all right, this is what I do four to five days a week. It was a little bit all over the place. Right. And there also wasn't like, <clears throat> this is what I enjoy. You know? Right. Right. This is what, this is what makes me happy when I'm doing it. It was like, I should be doing it. So I'm going to go do this, yeah. but I'm not getting anything out of it, which led to probably a lot of that inconsistency because it wasn't in alignment. Right. Yeah. And cooking still isn't in alignment. <laughs> yeah. I took it for one. Like I would eat eggs for dinner. Which, yeah. which is fine though. But then that also kind of makes you feel sad where it's like, yeah. I don't know. 
you're like, should I just pick up cooking? And it's like, but I've never enjoyed it. So it is, it's still a struggle, but well, you're, you're touching on something that's really important. And I think this will come up throughout our, you know, our call today is that there's, there's this idea of what you should be doing that you kept coming back to, right? Like I should appreciate this apartment with all this, like these amenities and the social life, Mm-hmm. But I feel really bored. I should just lean into a workout routine. I should do it every day, but I hate what I'm doing. And like, it doesn't feel good all the time. I'm not leaning into it feels good. I should cook because that seems like the thing that other people should be doing at this age, but I don't like it and I don't want to. Yeah. And I'm just sort of beating myself up every night when I'm eating eggs, you know, and not, and not not even just like finding a way to make this easier that doesn't involve cooking, right? There's a lot of like, I should just be fine with this. Yeah, exactly. Right. Something that you didn't mention around that time when you talked about a typical day is you, I remember very vividly when we first talked, you would, you would tell me that you spent a lot of time daydreaming. Mm, Yeah. And it was mostly around men and around trips, like travel and other destinations yeah and i felt at the time that that was a little bit of your lifeline a bit like that that was the thing that kept you i think motivated to get through all the boring stuff in the day yeah can you talk a little bit about the daydreaming maybe explain it a little bit first but then what that meant for you yeah my sister was getting real concerned that I like I thought I was gonna really meet like Chris Evans in real life. I was like, no, like it's just my crush. I was just daydreaming about marrying Chris mm-hmm. Evans, the actor. Um, but it's really, yeah, I, I called myself, I think, a chronic daydreamer on a call with you where I just because I was so bored, um, it's like, well, what's I just wanted like to live, right? Like I just wanted mm-hmm. more excitement and more life you know like more adventure and just more feeling and more experiences like I was always like wanting more and like craving just like experiences like full experiences and the default that I would think of or like men like relationships touch on so many feelings right like meeting a new person can just feel so exciting and it just feels like this ultimate like yeah kind of like this ultimate experience to like have a strong connection with someone it just brings up um a lot and trips are really exciting and it's new and there's adventure and like again you're meeting new people so just kind of always longing for like new and exciting things and then um still kind of like doing it in a way that was because like, I, I think there, there's a part of me that still is wanting new experiences it's very different from like what it used to be but i i was still kind of disconnected from the why of it like i was really unconsciously craving these things and just feeling like then it's just like, oh, am I never going to be satisfied? Am I just going to be want? Am I just going to be someone who always wants something else? Or like, I'm, and I was like conscious of the fact that I was like chasing, that I was like fantasizing. I was like, I'm just chasing this fantasy. This isn't real. This isn't how relationships go. And um, but I don't know how to stop because it just feels comfortable. Like it just feels like fun to be in this other world where you're like, you know, having good conversations and like doing fun things with someone and just doing anything but like what I was doing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you would spend like, I think the the part that made it chronic was that you would get lost in that. But then I, I think it led to feelings of shame after of like, well, I'm not there or I'm not on the trip or I don't have this experience. And then in that day to day life, you felt very separate from it. Yeah. 
Right. Totally. Cause it was a complete fantasy life. And, but then I would do things like I was, I was going on trips and then I would create these expectations or even just like the trips would be fun and like different, but then I would be back in my day to day life. And it was like, okay, is this just how life is going to go? And I'd had therapists in the past say this to me. Cause I was really focused on job too. Like I was like, it's the job mm-hmm. that's boring. And a lot of people are like, no, like, you know, look at what your job's affording you. And like, you can travel, you can, you know, you're working from home now, you can go travel and work from home, like for a little bit. And so there was always this idea that I, that would just be like, the excitement would just be part time, and it couldn't be my everyday. And that was frustrating. Like, I didn't feel like there was a way to bridge that gap between kind of like fulfillment and the everyday. That is a really important part, a point. The excitement would be a part of my life, but not every day. And so it probably felt like you were living for this, these weeks, like almost like these allowed weeks off, but you're working a job that you can do and that you're good at, but you had no inner fulfillment by. Right. Yeah. So it probably felt, I mean, I remember feeling this way when I worked in corporate jobs that I was living for the two weeks of vacation I got a year. Yeah. And that wasn't enough for me. It wasn't enough just to like to suffer almost, I mean, suffer. Oh, <laughs> like, yeah. First world problems. Um, like, but to, <laughs> like to me, to me, having to wear high heels and sit in an office is suffering, but to suffer from in our worlds this for that amount of time and then only to have a little bit of time to enjoy when, you know, I imagine that it didn't feel like completely possible to you, even though people are saying, like, look at what your job affords you. I, I'm getting that it didn't feel in t- inside like that was enough. No, and I think. You already said out of alignment and that was that was what it was where, you know, people's idea and what became my ideas because of what success and what a meaningful life was just to match my reality of and I but I didn't know, you know, because I had never really felt successful, if that's like the word, because that word carries so much we we, we you know, we tie it to money and certain mm-hmm. luxury things, but those accomplishments, like quote unquote, like I had run marathons, you know, I was like buying art. I was like doing stupid things, like things. I'm like, oh, I can afford to do this now. I guess this is what I do. And none of those things I felt proud of because they weren't mine. And that was, but then again, like, you know, but then I didn't know what was mine. Right. So that was really the thing where it was like, if this isn't it, what is? And then that's when I started to reach out to you because I was like, I, I just can't, you know, like, I don't, this isn't, I can't spend the rest of my life this way. And like, regardless of what people want to tell me, like, I know this isn't it. And like, I know there's more realness and I I know there's more to like what I could be doing. So that was kind of like the, they just hit, I just hit my own personal breaking point after years of like struggling to figure it out. I was just like, no, you need to commit to figuring this out. Yeah. 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 It's funny. Cause like that, right. When you said that, when you unpack that, you said more shoulds. Like I should be running marathons. Like right. I, I'm running marathons. I should be doing that. Like I'm buying art. You know, it's like it's like you had more. You had all these unconscious shoulds that were really running like your internal show. But then at the end of the day, you were feeling so unfulfilled. Right. When I start working with a client, I have everybody goes through a discovery session, which is a deep dive on you, so we can set their set the foundation of our coaching relationship. It's an opportunity for me to learn about the ins and outs of you separate from maybe the core issue that somebody's coming to me with. And in your discovery session, Maggie, you said, uh, one of the questions is, 
Describe your five biggest challenges or obstacles to having a life, career, and or business that's perfect for you. Your answer was myself. (laughs) (laughs) And it's like, and like I, when I read that, like knowing you now and going back and reading it, I was just, it did make me laugh because I was like, like, it's like that. I'm asking for five things and Maggie's like, it's just me. (laughs) But I do think that there's like, if we actually look at this for a second and unpack it, at least, you know, from what you've said today, it's, I think it's that I have, I have shoulds about Mm -hmm. my life, you know, Mm -hmm. that I, that I don't actually believe in, but that I do sometimes believe in and I don't know what to do with that. Or, Mm -hmm. you know, I am inconsistent with what I want to do. Or I'm doing things that I think I want to do and I'm not figuring out what they are. What do you think are two more things that were really holding you back at that time? Like how were you in your own way? Yeah. I mean, I refuse to feel things. <laughs> you know, yeah. Like, yeah. That's just trauma. Like, and I think we haven't touched on this, but I'd had two serious relationships and I was single during COVID, but I didn't process so relationships that I'd been in and just um I think in a general sense, and I know we'll probably get into my, get into my coaching, but the coaching program that I was drawn to talked a lot about like social self versus essential self. And I've just always like, none of us are raised to be ourselves. Like we're raised to listen to other people like mm-hmm. from birth. Right. So I think that that's just all of us have these ideas of, of who we should be or what we should be. And I think starting to really understand culturally that I'm just kind of buying into this or just not like not shaming myself for it where it's like I don't really know how to listen to myself because I've never been taught how to listen to myself and I've but the people I I were I was listening to have their own things right so uh-huh. like family dynamics and certain people whose opinions really mattered to me um like family members or and yeah and just not healing from relationships and and childhood trauma which like sounds everyone has childhood you know it's I feel like it's kind of overused right now but personally I don't it doesn't like resonate with me because it's I don't know but like I do feel like childhood stuff everyone is just because you're taught to not be yourself like there's Mm -hmm. inherently going to be a disconnect with within most of us in terms of like what we're taught and how we feel and so learning that um has been important to me but I didn't understand that at the time yeah. Yeah. I I want to stay here and just have you touch on not processing the relationships. Um, mm-hmm. And that is something that we did talk about in our discovery session. And I remember it because you you told me about them and it was almost like ships passing through the night. Like, mm-hmm. like oh, I had these two, I had these two relationships. They had a big impact on me and then there they go. It's like, <laughs> um, yeah. and I do think that in our early work together, it was hard for you to to process it. You know, I remember, I remember things coming up and us having sessions and saying, you know, I, I here here's what I'd like you. I remember I asked you to write the story, and that felt really hard. Like write out the story as you tell yourself of this current of this relation, not current relationship, of this past relationship. Like, what are you telling yourself? And I think it was really hard to go there. Um, when you reflect on that now, what, what do you think that block is or was? Yeah, I just didn't want to do it. I was like, I was intellectualizing, you know, every relationship I'd had where I was like, this is, this is what it was. This is who he was. And that's why the relationship went this way. And then I was like, it's done now. Like we're good. And I never wanted to feel the pain of that or just 
even it's one thing we can acknowledge that another person has their own things right but it doesn't mean that their things don't still hurt you and i just wanted to be like very i still was almost in a way like protective of like my exes because i was just like well that's like it felt like i deeply understood them on some level and like they weren't aware of like the, their behavior so like there's no need for me to like be angry or sad it just is what it is you know i just didn't want to yeah it's almost like avoiding that impact it had on you like they right. can be they can be as they as they are but it was it was impactful to you and right. your and your journey and yourself and your the way that you saw yourself mm -hmm. like hugely and and it was just and kind of and owning that and just making it and it, it really didn't have to be so much about them because i guess part of me just i've never wanted to blame and i guess that was my resistance to um childhood stuff too where it's like i don't want to blame you know there's the word of like blame that comes up where it's like i was at a point where i was just wanting to like own myself and but a big part of owning yourself is understanding how relationships have affected you because they you know you're kind of a you're some of the parts right like these experiences that we all have may contribute to who you are today like uh, so it's very important to look at those relationships and what you've like, taken in from them consciously and and, and unconsciously because we've all had that so and I was very I was just resistant to that because I didn't really understand that kind of dynamic I just felt like it's asking you to like because I wasn't very familiar with the work so I, yeah I thought it was just asking you to like go back into this other person and like let's analyze this step by step and it's like no it's just like this is let's just talk about how you genuinely feel and how this relationship affected you and it did I did have it, it was hard to do that <laughs> especially yeah. because they were like years past now and I'm like oh my god you're still like you don't need to talk about this guy like you're done you're not thinking about this guy anymore like stop mm -hmm. so you got like resistance to it too until I finally kind of processed it it was but it was like four years later like it was like four years after the relationship ended and because i was so resistant to processing it i was carrying that with me in in everything i was doing and any new relationship i was meeting i was carrying a lot of unhealed um wounds you know yeah yeah and just and you know and just to be clear this never was about maggie talking to her ex again or having like a healing conversation or anything like that it was it was all inner work you know right. and and this work was all about almost like what stories have i created about the relationship and what it means to my life and the path i've been on since then that may not be serving me anymore right you know or that might uh, have a wall in between finding somebody that's more aligned with me and keeping me in this past pattern in some way it's funny because like last night i had a dream about my high school ex and mm -hmm. he was very impact like i've been through a lot since then that really impact me but he actually was the he started my millennial life crisis i think like that healing from that breakup started the first i had, think i had two or i frame having two and like millennial life crises, but that was actually the first one. And because it was because I could not get over it. And like intellectually, everything was like, when I put it all down on paper, it was like, you should just be done with this. But I, I, it brought up so much for me yeah. and I felt a lot of shame around it because the people that I was talking to in my life also kind of made me feel that way. Like they would, they would say like, why are you not over this already? And yeah you know, being 22 and feeling like totally stuck. I felt, I don't know, like I, but I'm not. 
and that there must be something wrong with me that I can't get over it. But I think that it's very easy for us to come to a coach or a therapist and want to work on a job or a family Mm -hmm. or a career change or a move. But there's so much shame when it comes to a relationship when that's like a key part of life. Like we date people like, you know, when you think about like, you know, like the, the later shoulds of like, I should get married. I should buy a house. You know, I should have like to have children, like those other societal shoulds that come in. It's like, but we don't put any weight on the healing of a relationship, you know, or that these relationships shape us. (laughs) It's like, but it, and which is sometimes crazy to me now being on like this side, you know, of, of like, we, we can't shame ourselves for those parts because those parts help create who we are. You yeah, yeah. learn so much in a relationship. Right. If you let yourself. <laughs> yeah. You're like, which I did not. Yeah. <laughs> Until you did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I know, you know, there's, there's more that I think comes from the relationship part, but I want to touch on drinking for a second. And then we will, I will probably loop back to that. Yeah. And because I think that one of the answers to the challenges and obstacles that we we're having, that you were having to a life that you want yeah. was alcohol. Uh-huh. And I think that's also another topic that a lot of people shame. Cause it's like, if we have problem with alcohol, it must mean we're an alcoholic. It's like, that's not true. We just yeah. might have toxic habits around drinking that aren't serving us. And you mentioned when you were going through the day to day that, you know, there'd be times where you were drinking on a Monday night because everybody in the building was or something like that. So tell me about if if you can almost tap into that, Maggie, and the drinking habits then and the awareness that you had. What was that? Yeah, the drinking, (laughs) drinking Maggie was, it was a bit of my identity. Like Maggie likes to drink or sort of, you know, like there's a lot of people in my life, like especially when I lived in New York City and sometimes drinking Maggie was fun and sometimes she was incredibly destructive and Mm -hmm. it was years, like, I mean, this was my entire 20s, like college, you know, there was always like, there would always be like a couple instances with friends who like knew me well, where like just had bad nights because my behavior was so bad, like poor and that started in high school. Like it started when I started drinking, but because like heavy drinking was so normal, but there's been a lot of friendship, a lot of the closest relationships in my life has been, have been negatively affected by alcohol. Um, and I was carrying that with me, but it was kind of like, Oh, but this like, whatever, like everybody drinks, but those are also the same people that would say to me, you're not an alcoholic. Like just don't have 10 drinks, you know, have two. It's like, whatever, everybody drinks, like you had a bad night. So it was always kind of normalized because it wasn't every time. Um, but that was all of my twenties. And then I'm like in my early thirties at this point. And I was it's like, I never drank that much alone. Like, so you, you kind of, I, you, you either assess like, am I an alcoholic or am I not? And then if you're asking if you're an alcoholic, you're comparing yourself to the worst drinker that you know. So it's like, because I wasn't the person that was drinking it, and that just didn't help me. Right. That didn't serve me in any way. Cause I just wanted people to tell me that I didn't have a problem, but I was, I was like, this is, I feel really badly. And like every time I drink, I feel badly because like, it's, I never just have one. Like I always have three or four and even that affects me. It affects my sleep. Like I'm, I feel groggy the next day. I don't feel good. I feel, you know, it's depressant. We know that. And then the conversation around it, like, you know, culturally is, is very frustrating because it's just like, yes or no, yes or no. You drink or you don't drink. And 
I was really kind of lost in that dynamic of like, well, most people are saying I don't need to stop drinking, but I don't feel great when I'm drinking. And this is really <laughs> like, it's taking so much of my energy, you know, like I'm wanting to make positive changes in my life and like 50 to 60, sometimes 70% of my energy is like going to alcohol just in terms of like deciding whether to drink one night, trying to like trying to manage how much I am drinking. And then if I do drink too much, then I'm hungover and like my days are completely ruined. So it was taking so much time and energy from me. And I think you and you and I would talk about it a lot. We try to like plan. It was like, I'm going out to dinner with friends. It wasn't like, oh, I'm excited to see my friends. It was like, well, do I drink or do I not drink? If I drink, how much am I drinking? So then there was just like adding this like pressure instead of just enjoying your friends. It was like, okay, I need to monitor myself and I just can't have fun. And then, and then I would get annoyed and I'd be like, no, forget it. Just have fun and have drinks with your friend, whatever. And, um, you know, cause I didn't want to feel like restricted in any way. And, and that was another thing too. It was like, there was a big part of me that was like really stubborn where it was like, don't like, don't tell me what to do, which, which was like, I don't know who I was saying that to, but it was like, just don't tell me I can't do something, you know? Yeah. Uh, well, that's because like you, and you said this as you were talking, like it was drink, like if you were going to have fun, that involved drinking. If you were not going to have fun, it was not drinking. Right. Right. So that was almost like the inner, that was the inner dialogue around this. Like that was the thought, you know, and if that's the thought, it's not going to lead to good feelings about it. It's going to lead to, well, I guess everything's a restriction, you know, and by looking at that, like I, and I know you don't feel that way now, you know, which I know is it like, it's a journey that I want to, I want you to talk about not yet though um, but i think it's like a but i think that's a key thing you also said and i think this is really really important because we don't think about this we usually think about the moments and the time not the what happens beforehand but you said the energy that you were putting in deciding to drink or not drink that mm -hmm. like i imagine that that was like a day of thinking a lot of the time of mm -hmm. going back and forth all day when your thoughts could have been on something else, mm -hmm. but instead it was on this pressure, this inner, like, should I do it? Should I not do it? What if I do it? And if I do it, do I need a plan? And if I have a plan, am I going to stick to my plan? Then how am I going to feel when I don't stick to my plan? It's like yeah. so many thoughts. Yeah. So many thoughts. And then they would all just be like, forget it. Like I'll just do whatever you want. You know, like you, like that kind of pressure would just build up. And I'm like, this yeah. is just go, you know, do whatever you want. Go have fun. Go have fun. Yeah. Cause like drinking, right. I and mean, you said it's, and you hear it all this time. Like, mm -hmm. It's the idea that if you don't drink, you're not fun. It's ridiculous, but um, yeah, yeah. But it was part of your identity at the time yeah. that you know mm -hmm. that you that mm -hmm. you could drink, that you were fun when you drank. Like you knew that a lot of issues came up when you drank for yourself and for you know your your close relationships. But on the outside, it seemed like Maggie's really fun when she drinks, and I think that that was that was a little bit of a release for you. Mm -hmm. at the time like you got right. to be this fun person because you were feeling bored in regular life yeah. and it was like well i i i don't want to lose this part but it was it was snowballing into other habits yeah 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 and i think that's that's also just really important for people who are feeling who could relate to anything that i'm saying is that like when we are like craving more excitement and we're craving like more feelings it's like we that was it that was what like drinking represented for me too it like it did rep represent this kind of release but it was the illusion of that like it was not bringing the reality of just like fun and exciting and like 
partying and I, that was like used to be my thing when I was like I don't like I was like I don't you know I'm not loving how I feel when I drink but I just I like to party I like to party like I couldn't imagine like what what you know quote-unquote partying meant if I wasn't drinking but it's just like dancing and having fun and feeling free you know and you don't need alcohol to do that but like I I just couldn't really imagine doing that not drunk and I think a lot of people feel that way where a lot of people are just wanting this like kind of like oh I just want to like have fun you know I just want to have fun and um learning how to do that without drinking is like is vital but I don't yeah I don't have to get into it but yeah I have learned I mean I haven't drank in seven months now and it's just sort of I just I just sort of stopped like it hasn't been super easy it's come up a few times but ultimately it's just been like it's getting easier and easier to just really not to be not to not be attracted to it yeah so let's actually let's actually stay there because that's important and I know this is a very, it's an important part of your journey, but it's also a part of your journey that it does flare, like it flares up at times and you have to deal with it and manage it. And so in our work together, you would go through these phases of having small commitments around drinking, Mm -hmm. and then it ended up being a larger commitment. And in that time of the larger commitment, you certainly had times where it felt like either ridiculous for you or that again, like, or that same mindset came up of like, I don't want to be restricted. I just want to do this, you know? So, and, and you got through it. And so I know there's a lot here, like, I don't want to shorten it, but I know there's so like that part of your journey, it was really important. There was a lot. Can you remember what it felt like when you were making those smaller commitments? Because that you had these small moments of feeling proud when you got through things without alcohol. Yeah. I was doing, I would say I really started to consider my relationship to drinking in like 2019. So like I read a book by Holly Whitaker called Quit Like a Woman and a lot of it resonated. And again, I really appreciated like the book talks a lot about the cultural expectation because drinking isn't like socially accepted. It's like socially expected. Right. So, Mm -hmm. um, but so I started to really assess in 2019 and I would go through like, yeah, month long sobriety things. Didn't really get serious about it until I started working with you. And then the longest I'd be like, okay, I'm not drinking and for this month and I, there's a wedding coming up or so I stayed sober for like a few weddings. And then ultimately, but actually now that I'm thinking of it, like I would cave, I like would drink on dates, you know, that's the sad part. Like then I started yeah. dating. And then I was like, yeah. So I would like went to these weddings sober and I had like, you know, month long stretches. And then like a guy would ask me on a date and I'm like, oh, well, like, going to a Patriots game. I want to have a couple of drinks with this guy. And then that's when I broke my longest like four week sobriety thing was on a date. And then, yeah, <laughs> so I didn't know how to really interact that way. And so that's going to feel great. But I had a couple of those moments of like month long and then I would drink again. Um, and when it comes up now, it's just, it's really difficult to untangle Cause there's like, it's ultimately a belief that drinking offers you something and not just like a thought, but it's like really embedded in me anyways, that drinking is going to offer me something. It's going to offer me like that relaxation or, or that like release that I'm looking for. And it's so habitual. So breaking a habit's really, really hard, especially when you're, you know, still kind of disconnected from your inner truth in, in a way, but you know, I just started getting honest with and you. You were important too, because I just started getting honest with you. Like, I remember when I like kind of broke sobriety. I didn't really, I just like didn't want to talk. Like I didn't really talk about drinking as much. Like when I was feeling kind of shame around it, cause I didn't, but then I didn't want to stop drinking. So then I went through a period 
I don't know. I'm just kind of rambling now, but I went through a period of, um, yeah, no, stay with it. You, yeah. I, I think you're talking about the time when you were in South Africa and you, uh, yeah. So yeah. South Africa, and then before that too, like the winter last year, a year ago, like this October, like a year ago, October, um, I kind of stopped talking to you about drinking until I had a really bad night right before South Africa. And then I was like, no, this is going to, we're going to, I'm going to commit to this. Um, and then I did start to be honest with you about it. Cause then I was like, I'm going to stay sober. I had this trip coming up and I didn't drink for three weeks. And I was like, it's a girl's there. I was meeting people I didn't know. So I was going on this extended trip in South Africa with like 10 other women and I knew they would be drinking. And I was like, I don't want to drink that much, but like, I want to have a couple of drinks at the wineries, you know, like all the, I was like, it's, you know, there's really good wineries there. And like, it's going to be a social trip. And then I just went and I drank <clears throat> every day. <laughs> and um, I was like pretty honest with you about it. And then when I came home from there, well, that a lot happened on that trip, but yeah. But then when you, but that's actually the, that was like the birthplace of the commitment, right? Mm -hmm. It's like you, you were stumbling in these areas and then you got to that point where, and right before the trip, you actually had a lot of anxiety around the drinking stuff. Like you were, you know, am I going to, am I not, you were trying to make a plan for it, you know? And that is something that I tried to, that I try and do with clients is that, if you're struggling with this, let's find a way that you can feel proud, at least have some boundaries around what you're going to do. And the reason I do this, that's what I did when I was trying not to drink. And it, and I was in my early twenties and I was blacking out all of the time. And it was, I was making so many messes all over the place. And I just was like, I, I'm not an alcoholic, but I can't do this. Like I need to, it's, and my, my, at that time, my coach was like, you, your limit is two drinks twice a week. Yeah. So try that, like lean into that. That's your commitment. And I was like, I felt like she like, was cutting off my arm, you know? And like yeah. now if I had two drinks, I would likely be drunk because I barely ever drank yeah. um, on the cheapest of dates. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but I was thinking like, you know, in that time you were, you were really trying to yeah. find a way to, to almost like, honor that voice of restriction and get to know it and be with that and and listen to it but also at the same time listen to that deeper part of yourself that was saying i don't need this but then you were, you knew you were also going to be activated so you were trying all these things yeah i don't know if i ever told you that or i think i did share it because you sent me a future or future you meditation like you meet a future version of yourself yeah and i did this meditation right before south africa and it was like future you has a message oh, it's like 10 minutes long and then it's like you meet future you and they have a message for you and the message was just like stop drinking like so clearly it just goes stop drinking and i was like um this is so stupid this does the stuff doesn't work like whatever you know <laughs> like i was yeah. like <laughs> yeah you're like you're like the meditation was so good and then it goes to the end and it was like stop drinking i was like nah i don't yeah. want this yeah <laughs> these things are dumb um yeah. <laughs> but um yeah that kind of but that was an interesting first encounter with higher self, but I do, I remember it vividly. And then, and so you might, yeah, but you're right. Like I was really like, okay, how can I make it? How can I feel proud and not cut drinking off? Because I just, I want, I love, I love wine and I like, you know, like whatever I was telling myself and the moderation. And then I think I just learned in South Africa, moderating didn't just didn't work for me. I just, and uh, I stayed there, like I extended that trip and I stayed there five weeks and I drank probably every day. Um, mm -hmm. And I, when came I came home, home yeah. yeah, 
And, and I had when the- you came home, what what was the? I mean, so when Maggie comes back from South Africa, this will be in part two of this podcast. But Maggie entered what we call her spiritual awakening, and I know it might sound silly, but it actually was a spiritual <laughs> awakening. And but in that time, the drinking voice got a lot louder, mm-hmm. and all of this. I want to almost like connect this to the stuff around men because that is the thread that's like underneath this thread. You know, it's almost like they ran parallel to each other, but I think it is probably more helpful right now. If you touch on like what led to that, the commitment that you're in now, and then we can almost go backwards and look at the the second thread. Yeah. South Africa was, there was a lot of that stuff that I was always seeking, right? Like there was connection, there was fun, there was excitement, there was like partying, there was like so much life on that trip. And then I came home to Boston in March and just gray and gross. And I was feeling like, like, what is life? Like, what am I really doing here? And I was still wanting to release, like I didn't, so I went out like immediately when I got home and I like drank with friends and was just like, like did ugh, like I don't know I just had like a bad night and then I was visiting friends in New York City the week after that because I like couldn't sit st- I like was not wanting to be home like I wasn't wanting to like be back in Boston by myself and just like you know feeling like again there was a little bit of probably shame underneath it too where it's like I'd been in coaching and I was in my own coaching course and I'm like wanting to make all these changes but then again like still feeling like I had an experience that was like was real life but then I come home and it's like my day to day is just depressing so. I go to, I was like making plans to distract myself and just keep myself busy. And um, I went to New York City. So this was two weeks after South Africa. A friend was like, come down here for a birthday party. You can surprise our other friend for dinner. Like she doesn't know you're coming. It'll be great. And I was like, fun. So I go to New York and then I get so drunk before the dinner that I don't even go to dinner. And there was a guy there. He's a friend of mine that we've always had like a little bit of a flirtatious dynamic. And I stayed out drinking with him instead of going out with my other friends. And so I left. That was a Friday night. I was still in New York for Saturday night. I didn't drink. And then I got back to Boston and I was, I haven't drank since. Um, There was no big like epiphany or conversation. There was just like this knowing like you're, this is, you're done, you know? Well, (laughs) I think that is an epiphany though. Yeah. It is like a, you know, because you were self-aware enough to look at your own behavior. You didn't feel proud of what happened and the way that you carried yourself. And you didn't end up doing what you intended to do. And you just were like, you know what? No, like I, I can't do this. And, but I think it's an epiphany because you had been in that cycle for a long time. Right. And you were feeling all the feelings that you, as you were going along, like you would feel okay. And then it would fall um, away. And so when you finally had that epiphany, it was like the part, the part that you needed to, that was actually done. It was like going back to, you know, like an on again, off again relationship, and then getting to that point where you're like, no, I'm not, we're done. Like, I, I'm not doing this anymore. It totally is like that. And I was like trying, you know, it's funny you say that. Cause like, I've joked that it's like my relationship to alcohol is like the girlfriend that's just like not getting the clue. It's like the guy hasn't answered in like two weeks. She's like, maybe I'll just like show up at their house. You know, like they haven't texted me, but maybe if I just knock on their door, like they'll answer me. And that's kind of what I was doing with alcohol. I was like, well, maybe if I just like drink a little bit, you know, just like, no, this isn't working. Like this isn't working. Like, so I'd leave it. But um, yeah. 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 And so I mentioned that a parallel thread throughout that time was also men and you revisiting your relationship with men. Yeah. And so 
while while Maggie and I were working together and some of these things were getting like uncovered and worked on and she started like, you know, instead of just being bored, a lot of this stuff was bubbling up because running parallel at this time as well was Maggie entered a life coaching certification program. Would you remember what month that started? Yeah, October. So exactly a year ago. Yeah. So, and during, and she knew she was going to, you knew you're going to start it, right? Like you knew of two months yeah. before or so? A year ago. Yeah. I signed up for it. Yeah. I think signed up in August. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that I never thought that you were, I never felt like you were a client that was like very like blocked. Like I did think when we were talking, you were very open on our sessions, but I think when you knew that that program was going to start, it was a little bit of a turn for you to really look at some of these other habits that were going on, you know, mm -hmm. and, and that certainly came up around men. Um, and I think a lot of stuff started to bubble up. And as you were dealing with some of the alcohol stuff, you were also dealing with a lot of stuff with guys. And it started out with one connection in your building. Yeah. Yeah. So take us through that. You don't have to use his name. You can just use like a letter or something if you want to. Yeah. There was just this guy who I was like, he asked, he invited me to a Patriots game and I hadn't been drinking for, oh, actually it starts off even worse. Like, so I, God, I was getting so drunk. We had a night, I went out one night, we had like a tequila tasting in the, in the apartment and I got so drunk. Like I was so sick. And this guy, I woke up to this guy on my couch and I was like, what the hell? I had gotten so sick. Like he just like stayed there to make sure I was okay. Like he was super nice. And then I was like, okay, thanks. And I had a, I was so hungover and I had to get up at, and I was going to a wedding that day, that morning. So I had to catch a flight at 7am. So like this guy's in my apartment and I was like, gotta go. Thanks for staying. And I was like, mm -hmm. and I'm just feeling like terrible. And so I leave my apartment and then I don't hear from this guy for weeks, like not surprising, but I'm like, I don't see him. Like we're in the same building. I don't see him. I don't hear from him. I don't, I stopped drinking. I'm like, I'm not drinking for a week. Like I can't do this. Like I'm taking a break. And then eventually he like, whatever, we kind of like circle back around and he invites me out and we start seeing each other. But I started drinking again to like be social and to just like have this connection because this guy like to drink. Um, so then, oh, and, and with this connection, like I think, and you weren't very sure about it at no. the beginning but it also it also felt very much that it was on his terms mm -hmm. not yours yeah it was just a guy who showed interest in me so i was like oh please like me and um okay like if you you know like i just want companionship like i hadn't dated in a couple months so i was like oh it's fun to like have someone um, and fun so to have sex like yeah. fun to like yeah like fun to just have fun with somebody right but it but then when he wasn't showing interest it was triggering so triggering and i would like say to him like i don't even know like i don't even think i didn't even think i liked this person that much and now i'm like all anxious that they're either texting or not texting me um and it's like i don't even like what am i doing you know i kind of was like this isn't even i don't even like i wasn't thinking about what i even wanted in a relationship or what i wanted in a partnership it was just like i wanted that external i just wanted that validation from someone and that brings up it's just you know, that was kind of the cycle I had been in with this one particular five year, the, the five year relationship that I was in was like five years of me just seeking validation. And so I guess I just didn't really know. Yeah. Ways to be. 
Um, it was very old. It was like a lot of the feelings that were coming up were like old and they were historical, but it was also reflective in this new person. Mm. And, but they felt strong and it was that, which made it confusing because it was like, okay, well, like, I don't even know if I like this person, but I'm feeling all these feelings. Mm. But because you had shoved all that stuff away, you know, and you were like, all right, it's in, it's in this box in my head that I'm not going to open. It was hard to connect some of those dots of, all right, a lot of this stuff is probably connected to something old, but now it's coming up. Yeah, exactly. And then from there, it did lead to a few, like you dating unavailable men or a few unavailable men. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But I do want to say like this process, like you were with me, coaching was so essential. And I'm, this isn't like a plug for coaching, but I had done that sort of thing before. And like you had said, like I've sort I'd always sort of considered myself a self-aware person, but like when it comes to men, like at least historically, hopefully not in the future, but I I just couldn't really see these patterns. Like I couldn't really see the repression, like the repressed feelings that I had had. So coaching was so essential to understanding those patterns because like if I weren't, I don't know, like those potentially could have been each of those things could have been like me staying in these things for like there was like a consecutive like couple months with one guy, a couple months with another, like a month with another guy. And I probably like, you know, could have stayed in them for way longer if I wasn't like active, like consciously starting to realize what I did and didn't want in a partnership and how I could like show up differently to have it be actually enjoyable instead of me just like feeling like garbage. Mm-hmm. And the Maggie now would would have never gone out with like, the either of them. So like, you know, it's really, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Like if I think about you, like I'm thinking, I actually haven't thought about this at all, but like now thinking about like those guys and the Maggie today, there's no chance you'd go out with them now. You'd be like, oh, like, no, like this is ridiculous. Like, (laughs) I was like crying over them. I know. I know. It's like you want to, it's like you want to hang out with me this on this one day a week, but that's it. Like, no, like, no, you want something more than that. Um, yeah. And so in, you know, so as you went through that process of like really just understanding dating and understanding how you were showing up with men, it obviously led you to another another connection that felt stronger that I think is still probably a little bit confusing, you know. <laughs> um yeah. but I think what it allowed you to do is to be a lot more self-aware of what was happening and i think this is a hard thing to explain but once once we start to understand how we're showing up in relationships and also what we want and get in touch with what we need and what feels good and what doesn't it it can almost feel like everything feels heavier because we're looking at it all and it it could feel like a lot but at the same time we're also way more aware than we were before right yeah and i think it's just you can start to see a new pattern or like a new way of being like, and I, th- that's part of it. Or if you haven't experienced or you haven't witnessed a really healthy relationship, it can be hard to imagine it. And it's also, again, like, you know, we talked about this a little bit, like we're just not taught to be ourselves. We're not taught to listen to ourselves and we're also not taught how to have relationships. Like it's really hard and it's really confusing. And mm-hmm. I think it's like the only thing I've learned is to, like there has to be some sort of outlet for me to stay to for me to be able to truly listen to myself and acknowledge how I'm feeling like I need to be able to process how I'm feeling 
um, whether that's on a coaching call or like journaling or like just getting honest with myself and then acknowledging that it can be difficult and scary to like be vulnerable with someone, but like it's kind of the only option if you want a truly meaningful relationship. Yeah. And I, you know, and you didn't say this, but I know that this is underneath it, but it's also our job to almost learn what that is, like learn what that relationship is for ourselves, mm-hmm, you know, yeah. and, and challenge ourselves to not just have the, the inner dialogue around, okay, well, I was, I didn't have good relational examples. So I'm not, you know, I just don't understand relationships. It's okay. I didn't have good relational examples in my life, but it's my job to figure out what a healthy relationship is for me, which might be different than what it is for my sister or Mm -hmm. a family member, but it's like, or my best friends. Like, it's like, okay, I don't want those relationships, but I, I, I'm allowed to think about what I do want. And I think that I think you do that in a lot of areas of your life that when you don't know something or if you don't you're you know something's not working for you you do try and figure it out of like okay wait what like I I don't like this but there has to be another way. Yeah, and I think that's ultimately what growth is, right? If you can stay curious. I mean it's a huge like value of mine, but if you can just stay curious, right? Instead mm-hmm. of reactive, it's like that's what growth is because you're still learning like we're just constantly deepening our understanding of self at least has been my journey and you know i had this kind of thought the other day but like in just thinking about talking to you i was like well if i had to like because ultimately it's self-love too right but that word mm-hmm. is like what is self-love and it just starts with listening to yourself and you know the more you can listen to yourself the more you trust yourself but because like and it's really hard to listen without having that trust there. So you kind of have to like go in blind. It's like you kind of have to just like start listening to that voice, which feels like you're just jumping off of a ledge because you haven't listened to it. So you don't trust it yet. But the trust will come. And like the more the trust comes, it's like the more the self-respect comes. And then there's like self-love is like a byproduct of that. Right. But it's like all of that stuff is hard. Like it's hard to listen to yourself when you haven't. And it's it, but that's where you learn too. So but yeah, and I think it all, it's inquiry, you know, it's just inquiring on like, well, what is coming up for me? And like, why do I still want to talk to this person? Or why don't I want to talk to this person? Mm-hmm. And, or, and, and too, what's activating about this person? Like, why does this person have a pull on me? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. And so I like, I'm excited that there's a part two for us because there's so much more to cover. But one, one thing I wanted to touch on in this one was like what happened with your job and Mm -hmm. because I think that's very important because underneath you know you definitely had a lot of things going on all at once but one thing was that you really didn't want to do your job anymore like it was it you honestly like when we would talk when we would have our session sometimes they get off and I'd be like she sounds so much like how I did like it was doing basic basic work things that like every like a lot of people do that were just like repulsing <laughs> to me like like I have to respond to this email <laughs> like it was just oh my gosh like but it was it was because it wasn't mine that's why it was fitting me out it was like or I have to like stay at this online until 5 p.m. when I have nothing else to do today. Like those types of things were that really spit me out from corporate culture. And you were getting really spit out from corporate culture. Mm-hmm. And you were involved in a life coaching certification, right? Yeah. So 
When you entered that certification program or signed up for it, was the intention to learn about yourself at the time or was the intention to become a coach? Yeah, it was just, so I read a book, I joined Martha Beck's course, if anyone's familiar with her, but I read her book, The Way of Integrity and something just switched. Like I just find her like, you know, like I'm slightly obsessed with her. Like, but I just think that she's hilarious and she's just very humble. Like I think some sometimes when you're trying to learn about yourself, a lot of these, you're not going to relate to all of these, you know, self-help or self-development people. And some just are off-putting and egoic to me. And she has none of that. And so I really was like, felt comfortable and like just immediately trusted her and reading her book. And it, it just kind of planted the seed, like, oh, maybe it is, like, maybe it's possible for me to figure this out. And I was thinking solely of career I was just like truly forever haunted by the word purpose, right? Like, and I was associating purpose with career, which I knew I wanted more meaning in my job. And I just, so her book just was like, oh, I was like, oh, I think maybe it is possible for me. And because I was in a position where I was making money in sales, I signed up for her course more just for myself. Like I didn't really have any intentions with it. And um I just knew I wanted to stay tuned in. Like I wanted to stay tuned into the way that she saw the world. And that like alongside working with you was a lot of coaching. <laughs> yeah. um, and, but- and then work showing up for a job every day that you were feeling further and further away from. Yeah. So, cause I would be practice coaching, um, practice coaching during the day instead of doing my day job. And I would say, you know, I was kind of like, okay, I'll, I'll do this day job for money. Like I, was trying to plan whatever. And then my company got bought by a private equity firm, which is, so everyone knew mass layoffs are coming. This happened in like, I think it happened at the same time. Was The timing was so weird. It happened either in October or November of last year. So then they were like, layoffs, layoffs, layoffs are happening. And I was like, I'm going to be mad if I don't get laid off. You know, because it was yeah. like, you get severance or this or that. And then I, and then I did go, did get laid off. And I got laid off like three days before my birthday Right before your trip to South Africa. So I was flying to South Africa on my birthday. So I got three days, three days before that I was laid off. And I was like, oh my God, which then allowed me to like really be in South Africa and extend the trip there, which like whatever, that's the whole, but, um, so that was when something switched for me too. That was when I was sort of like, I think that was sort of the switch in my belief system that we do all have, I would say divine guidance or divine plan, if you will, where like, I felt like. I was so excited when I saw that like 9am call from my boss on my email. I was like, Oh my God, it's happening. I was like, this is happening. It's happening. I'm getting laid off and like, I'm going to get severance and then I can coach and I can do. And I was just like, that's when I started to like believe in like the universe and being supported by, um, you know, the universe, if you will. But yeah. Yeah. And I think that the timing of it was just so perfect because the months before that, or like the month, two months before that, it was just really, you were having a harder and harder time showing up for work because there was like this bigger purpose that was being, that you were like being called to. And you knew that and you started to know what fulfillment felt like and that you were like, it wasn't in your job and and that's not what you identified with. Like, and it, I think it happened at such a beautiful time for you because it, it was right on the cusp of this trip and you were able to extend your trip and enjoy your trip. And then when you came back and you had a lot of feelings that came up, you were really able to be with them and to unpack that and give yourself that time while also not having to worry 
about the money because you had the severance coming in. It was like, it was like a gift that you were given. Yeah. And I think the distraction is a good point. Like I had nothing to distract myself, you know? So yeah, kind of like always looking for some, some way to distract myself. And then when I had to just sit with it, like, so yeah, post South Africa is when I really just like sat with it all and mm-hmm. uh, things started to change. But yeah, yeah. that's part two. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely part two, which is like a lot of things happened in part two. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Maggie. This was amazing. It was really great to go through your millennial life crisis with you. And what's sticking with me the most, almost like the lesson of like part one seems to be like, it's important to feel your feelings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's not fun. But... Yeah, it's not fun, but it's important to feel your feelings. Yeah. yeah. That was a really amazing conversation with Maggie. Maggie is a client that really showed up for the work, still shows up for the work, will spend time thinking through her thoughts and why certain things come up. And she said it best. She stays curious. And that's why she's had so much growth in her life. There is going to be a part two with Maggie. I'm very excited for the part two. We talk through Maggie's spiritual journey and what happened after she came home from South Africa. So I hope that you listen to that. But thank you for being here. If you want to connect with me, you can find me at Jessica Knight Coaching on Instagram or at jessicanightcoaching.com. <laughs>